hardly intelligible to anyone who does not share his vocation. According to degrees of judgment, it will be regarded as something too bad or too good for the world. The only difficulty about doing the thing in this way is that it cannot be done. It would really require a saint to write about the life of a saint. In the present case, the objections to such a course are insuperable. Third, he may try to do what I have tried to do here, and as I have already suggested, the course has peculiar problems of its own. The writer may put himself in the position of the ordinary, modern outsider and inquirer, and indeed, the present writer is still largely and was once entirely in that position. He may start from the standpoint of a man who already admires St. Francis, but only for those things which such a man finds admirable. In other words, he may assume that the reader is at least as enlightened as Renard or Matthew Arnold but in the light of that enlightenment he may try to illuminate what Renan and Matthew Arnold left dark. He may try to use what is understood to explain what is not understood. He may try to say to the modern English reader, here is an historical character which is admittedly attractive to many of us already by its gaiety, its romantic imagination, its spiritual courtesy and camaraderie, but which also contains elements evidently equally sincere and emphatic which seem to you quite remote and repulsive. But, after all, this man was a man, and not a half-dozen men. What seems inconsistency to you did not seem inconsistency to him. Let us see whether we can understand, with the help of the existing understanding, these other things that now seem to be doubly dark, by their intrinsic gloom and their ironic contrast. I do not mean, of course, that I can really reach a psychological completeness in this crude and curt outline. But I mean that this is the only controversial condition that I shall here assume, that I am dealing with the sympathetic outsider. I shall not assume any more or any less agreement than this. A materialist may not care whether the inconsistencies are reconciled or not. A Catholic may not see any inconsistencies to reconcile. But I am here addressing the ordinary common man, sympathetic but sceptical and I can only rather hazily hope that, by approaching the great saint's story through what is evidently picturesque and popular about it, I may at least leave the reader understanding a little more than he did before of the consistency of a complete character, that by approaching it in this way we may at least get a glimmering of why the poet who praised his lord the sun often hid himself in a dark cavern, or why the saint who was so gentle with his brother the wolf was so harsh to his brother the ass, as he nicknamed his own body, of why the troubadour, who said that love set his heart on fire, separated himself from women, of why the singer who rejoiced in the strength and gaiety of the fire deliberately rolled himself in the snow, of why the very song, which cries with all the passion of a pagan, Praised be God for our sister, Mother Earth, which brings forth varied fruits and grass and glowing flowers, ends almost with the words, Praised be God for our sister, the death of the body. Renan and Matthew Arnold failed utterly at this test. They were content to follow Francis with their praises until they were stopped by their prejudices, the stubborn prejudices of the sceptic. The moment Francis began to do something they did not understand, or did not like, they did not try to understand, still less to like it. They simply turned their backs on the whole business and walked no more with him. No man will get any further along a path of historical inquiry in that fashion. 
These skeptics are really driven to drop the whole subject in despair, to leave the most simple and sincere of all historical characters as a mass of contradiction, to be praised on the principle of the curate's egg. Arnold refers to the asceticism of Alverno almost hurriedly, as if it were an unlucky but undeniable blot on the beauty of the story, or rather as if it were a pitiable breakdown and bathos at the end of story. Now this is simply to be stone-blind to the whole point of any story. To represent Mount Alverno as the mere collapse of Francis is exactly like representing Mount Calvary as the mere collapse of Christ. Those mountains are mountains, whatever else they are, and it is nonsense to say, like the Red Queen, that they are comparative hollows or negative holes in the ground. They were quite manifestly meant to be culminations and landmarks. To treat the stigmata as a sort of scandal, to be touched on tenderly but with pain, is exactly like treating the original five wounds of Jesus Christ as five blots on his character. You may dislike the idea of asceticism. You may dis-